Would you pray with me, please? God, I come to you now as your servant, giving all honor and glory to you, asking, O oh God, that you would be present with me, that the words that I say today would not be mine, but they would be yours, that you, O oh God, would open the minds and the hearts of those who receive these words down to their soul, even. Because if we're really, really honest, oh God, these are probably some of the hardest teachings that Jesus has given us. Because it does require us to love in the way that you love us. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit that I would do your will and not my own. Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So today's message comes out of the fifth chapter of Matthew. It's right in the middle of what they call the Sermon on the Mount. And we know uh, that the Sermon on the Mount is not actually a Sermon on the Mount, that this is a gathering of uh, writings. Um, but it's at the peak of what Jesus was trying to teach in his ministry and probably, if we're really honest, uh, some of the hardest stuff uh, to try to not only live up to, uh, but live in our life. So here we go. Beginning with the 21st verse. You are familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I am telling you, anyone who is so much as angry with their brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother or sister an idiot and you might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at your sister or brother and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is this, words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and are about to make an offering and suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to the friend and make things right. Then and only then, come back and work things out with God. Oh, and say you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with them. After all, if you leave the first move to them, knowing their track record, you're likely to end up in court maybe even jail. If that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. You know the next commandment pretty well. Don't go to bed with someone else's spouse. But don't think you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. 
Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they are also corrupt. Let's not pretend that it is easier than it really is. If you want to live a more morally pure life, here's what you have to do. You have to blind your right eye the moment you catch it in a lustful leer. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on the moral trash pile. You have to chop off your right hand the moment you know it raised threateningly. Better a bloody stump than your entire being discarded for good in the dump. I'm going to stop here for just a second because we're almost done. Is anybody disturbed yet? Really? I mean, I mean, really, honestly, this is rough stuff. Should be rated triple X. Remember the scripture says, whenever one divorces their wife, let them do it legally, giving her divorce papers and her legal rights. Too many of you are using the cover for selfishness and whim pretending to be righteous just because you are legal. Please, no more pretending. If you divorce your wife, you're responsible for making her an adulteress, unless she's already made herself that by promiscuity. And if you marry such a divorced adulteress, you are automatically an adulterer yourself. You can't use legal cover to mask your moral failure. Okay. And finally, don't say anything you don't mean. The counsel is embedded deep in our tradition. You only make things worse when you lay down a smoke screen of pious talking saying, I'll pray for you and never doing it or saying, God be with you, and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes or no. When you manipulate the words to get your own way, you will most certainly go wrong. Okay. So. He thinks Matthews has issues. Huh? He thinks Matthews has issues. <laughs> well, okay. Why do you think that? And actually, I'm going to give you all a homework assignment, those of you at home. I don't often do this, but go back and read this again, folks. Because what I'm about to suggest to you is it's not as, oh my God, all these moral rules as it sounds. Remember how it started out. Jesus is saying, and in the older, uh, in the more traditional scriptures, you hear this and because they write it out you have heard it said but I say okay so are you with me so far 
You have heard it said, all right, so he's talking to the, to the Jewish folks. So he's saying to them, you know what the law says. Now here is what I'm saying. And what he's actually doing is pointing out the hypocrisy of the law. That is why I titled the sermon what I did, the way I did, and picked out the quote. Because see, this goes so much deeper than just being worried about whether you're committing adultery or not. I mean, we can get hung up on that, uh, and we can get hung up on, uh, as I did earlier in the week with another pastor when I would, told him what I was preaching about, and he said he wouldn't touch this. And it wasn't James, by the way, uh, it was somebody else. And they said they wouldn't touch this because they're just not settled in their head. And he started by saying, we don't even know what the definition of murder is. Killing someone's faith. So, here we go. If the definition of murder is taking someone else's life, okay, that means when they execute somebody in the state of Georgia, state of Georgia's committed murder. Now, there will be people that want to argue about that. You know, how do we define murder? Did they do something that deserved to die? I want you to listen to what Jesus said, because what he's really saying in every one of these items, except the last, and we'll talk about that in a second, is, look, the driving factor here of the law for you as a person of faith ought to be love. And if it's not love, then you're going to run into problems. That is why, uh, you know, when you get to that next step and he says, look, uh, look, when you get to church, if you've got a grudge about somebody, turn around, go home, get it taken care of, and then come back to church. Now, listen, Jesus taught, we, we see it, and I don't know why we don't point this out uh, when we go over this these, these particular sayings of Jesus. Jesus taught a lot in hyperbole, you know, to, to make a point, okay? So no, are you supposed to leave church and go back and make it right? No, but the idea is to get you thinking about it because what drives you to make it right? Love. What stops you from killing somebody? Love. What enables you to forgive somebody love that is what is at the bottom of this and this is why it's so incredibly radical because we don't think like this you know we 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 get in our lives where we think we're nice people that we're really nice amen don't we michael you're a nice guy right Patricia, you're a nice lady, right? Billy, you're nice. I mean, you're probably a hero. You live with me. Um, man, Alex, you're relatively nice. But we all know that if we're really honest, if we're as honest as Billy was at the beginning of this thing, it's like, yeah, I'm reading this stuff, but Matthew's got a problem. Because why? We know in reality this just can't be true. But I'm telling you, 
This is the exercise that we're called to do. In loving unconditionally, that means you've got to let go of some stuff that you don't want to let go of. I guarantee you that there were issues in my family that I didn't want to let go of. And then I figured out that it was eating at me. You see, when you don't love, who gets hurt? Not them. Not the people that you're refusing to love. It's you that ends up with that challenge. Now I, okay, I, I'm gonna sit down. When Jesus says that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, that's taking the next step. Think, to, think about this for a moment in that opening paragraph. Can you think of any justification? I, for those of you at home, we just rolled off the pew. <laughs> Amen. Um, seriously, if you want to call your personal self a person of faith and you want to exercise love in the way that God loves you, it becomes a much harder thing to take someone's life. It becomes a much harder thing to not work at getting things evened out. Oh, here's the other thing about this that really makes it hard. All that other stuff, what he was talking about, this is the stuff that they put on the signage. You know, coming to the temple. This is what we're about. This is what it is. That's not what Jesus is telling you to do right now in this. He's saying, no, 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 no. You need to internalize this. Before you kill that person, you have to figure out what you're angry about and why they deserve your judgment of death. And then he takes it a step further. If you don't kill anybody, but you call them an idiot. That bothered me, folks. Do you know how many people I call an idiot as I drive through Atlanta? More than one a day. I Yeah. <laughs> and I realized that the same process that allows me to call them an idiot is the same process that allows us to take a life. a grudge against you because of something you did. Something for which you haven't taken responsibility. What promise or vows have you broken? And how are you saying that you were justified in doing so? One day Abraham invited a beggar 
to his tent for a meal. And when grace was being said, the man began to curse God, declaring that he could not bear to hear his name. Seized with indignation, Abraham drove the blasphemer from his tent. And when he was in his prayers that night, God said to Abraham, This man has cursed me and reviled me for 50 years, and yet I have given him food to eat every day. Couldn't you put up with him for a single meal? love unconditionally folks want to get past all the rhetoric that we hear about this reading then understand that what it is about is simple love you know it's the love that goes beyond what seems right according to the letter of the law it's the love that enters into and what you have to be able to do in order to feed others, in order to be able to stand with others that are facing tough times. It is, in fact, what God does for us. All Jesus did in these sayings was say, you've heard it said. You've had it interpreted, but let me tell you about God and how God sees you. See, that's why I wanted to listen to El Shaddai today. There's lots of people that I think are idiots, and I need to work on that. And I don't think it's too silly to say, that when we tell somebody to F off, we might as well have killed them because we're making that judgment. We need to recognize that unconditional love can only be practiced by us if we're willing to forgive. And my last point of the day is this. You know, when you go to court, they make you put your hand on the Bible and swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So what? Help you God. So help you God. I will tell you folks, I have lived by this for 64 years. Well, a little less than that. Age knowledge. Ever since I found this particular verse. I don't swear to anything. My yes is my yes. My no is no. The only person I ever made a promise to was my husband. And if I had to do it over again, you know, I would think about that. Because my word should be my bond. Whatever I say. For the generations, Quakers refused to follow our legal system's requirement that a witness in court must place their hand on the Bible and swear to tell the told truth, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. They were criticized and ridiculed in some cases, and some cases incarcerated for their refusal to take an oath. But because they have gained the reputation for being honest people they are, and some courts no longer require us to swear in the Bible, they are known as truth-tellers. 
That's kind of cool. Perhaps the old joke we have told for generations is not just funny, but also true. Lena says to her husband, Oli, why don't you tell me you love me anymore? And Oli says, I told you 50 years ago I loved you. And if that ever changes, I'll let you know. When Billy and I first met, I said to him when I thought I was falling in love that I think I love you. He looked at me and said, I like you too. And I was like, hello, <laughs> hello, did you receive the message? We're on a serious conversation here. And he saw that confusion in my face and he said, look, I know where you're going and I'm not there yet. I'm not inclined to stop you, but I will never tell you something I don't mean. And here we are 38 years later because that's where I've been able to hang my hat. His word is his bond. God's word to you is God's bond. So give some thought to these other things and realize that it is out of love that they happen, not because you debate them. God bless you.